Welcome everybody to another special little episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. You know, recently today I was uh, checking out City Fan TV and I saw my colleague Ray had put up a video where he was strolling through Paris out in the nature and musing on the reasons why he felt that Manchester City had put up such a relatively poor title defense at this season, nine defeats. So it gave me an idea. I got out a piece of paper and I decided to have my own crack at this and see how many reasons that I think I could come up with for why things went the way that they have done in this season. And um, unlike Ray, um, I've come up with 20 reasons. (laughs) And then Some reasons to be cheerful so that we don't finish off on too negative a note. So let's get started. Now, the first couple are slightly psychological in nature, and you might think I'm clutching at straws. But number one that I've got is this one. It's called the pressure to go back to the well for a third time. Obviously, City had amassed 198 points in the two previous seasons. It was always going to be very, very difficult to stay focused and motivated for yet another season and to try to uh, achieve similar statistics and a similar consistency of success. So I think that particular pressure uh, was there. And I don't think that Pep was able to sufficiently motivate them to the level where they could repeat that. And that's not his fault. That's not their fault. It's just the nature of the beast, guys. I mean, two phenomenal seasons, and it was going to be a hard task to do it for the third time. Now, that's something, but I think that similar to that is number two. For number two on my list, I've got the hunger of Liverpool. You will remember that um, as well as we did in the previous season, Liverpool were just a point behind, and they had amassed the highest total of points for a team that didn't win the league. They were absolutely desperate. It was the 30-year uh, wait. Uh, and of course, they had just they'd shown us just uh, what we were going to be facing with those tremendous acquisitions and the development of a couple of younger players that have performed magnificently. We can't look beyond Allison and his consistency. Of course, Virgil van Dijk. Also, of course, Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Andy Robertson and their performances, uh, especially in, a, in an attacking sense. And uh, they were bang up for it, absolutely bang up for it. They have a robust defence. Uh, they're superior to City in that respect. And despite their inferiority with regard to midfield creativity, they have a series of little worker bees in that midfield. And, um, you know, against most teams, despite that lack of creativity that they have and that we don't lack, 
they were going to be able to get the, the, the ball through to those three lethal front men two or three times a game, you would have thought. And of course, in addition to that, we could talk about accusations of uh, soft penalties and soft VAR decisions. But I think we'll just leave it and summarize it as the pressure on us to go back to the well for a third time, combined with the hunger of Liverpool to end their 30-year wait for a title. The next thing that a lot of people have forgotten about is my number three, and that is the loss of Mikel Arteta. Now, despite his rather underwhelming performance as the Arsenal uh, coach since he took over there, I think we can't deny that Arteta was a very able deputy to, to Pep. He was able to stand up. Term, we saw their touchline behavior and we saw Arteta's uh, effect on individual players. Uh, there are so many testimonies from City players about just what kind of a positive impact he had. And it was a loss, even if you think that it wasn't. We can't deny that he had an effect and he was a great assistant to Pep. And we lost him to Arsenal, uh, rather sadly. And I think that's got to have an effect. And as I said before, you might be thinking that these are all small issues, but I think it had an uh, an impact. And uh, in addition to that, before we get into the more you know, the meatier aspects of why we weren't able to compete this season at the same level, we've had a consistently hostile media against us, particularly regarding the spectre of FFP. Now, you might think this is something that has affected the uh, fans uh, far more than the players, but I really believe that players are human beings and they read uh, the newspapers and the media, the mainstream media, has done its best all season to cheerlead for Liverpool to basically remove any criticism from Klopp, that big smiling face is all it takes for them to, to swoon. They have been fantastic but you, there, there's just you've seen this this hunger for the media to have a new champion they they wanted this they desperately wanted this their reporting was you know bordering on ridiculous at times it adds to the mix and these first five points that i've mentioned nothing there that really you could say had a decisive factor in our failure to to really challenge Liverpool right to the wire, at, at least this season. But I think they were factors. Now, they were small factors, but they were factors. Let's get on to the, the main things. The first thing, of course, is the loss of Vincent Company and our failure to sign a replacement. Perhaps you think we dodged a bullet because um, Pep wanted Harry Maguire. Um, although some argue that Maguire has actually settled down quite well at United and maybe he would have um, been a useful addition for us. Personally, I'm happy that we didn't get him. I didn't really think that he was going to be the one for us. But the loss of company was tangible um, in so many ways. The way that he finished the previous season, he ended up playing a total of 17 games. So that's um, more than I expected that he would be able to do. But that goal against Leicester, the way he drove the team on, and basically he's a world-class defender and he got some consistency together uh, towards the end of the previous season and his leadership just left a hole. And uh, we can't look past that as a factor in this season. Number seven in my list is, of course, the loss of Laporte. If you're going to lose company and not sign a replacement, then you better hope that you do not lose your best, next best, or equally best central defender. Of course, we lost Laporte. 
And uh, we didn't just lose a great defender, but we lost someone who plays the ball beautifully with his left foot uh, up that left channel. And uh, it was a huge loss. And as if that wasn't bad enough, I come on to point number eight, which is the decline, the sad decline of John Stones, both mentally and physically. He's been out of sorts at Manchester City for a long time. And we know lately that this has not escaped Pep's notice. And for the first time, in quite a long time, instead of uh, championing John and talking about his great courage, I think big balls was the term that um, Pep used. We can't deny that John Stones is not the player that we thought he was going to be. And I think this is more than just a period or, or, or periods of bad luck with uh, injuries and personal issues. It's also a question of his reliability, and I don't think he can be relied upon. And so we have seen a decline of John Stones. So when you've got Vincent Company not being replaced, you lose Laporte early, and John Stones is not there to help you out. These are big problems. Number nine is the continuing decline of Otamendi. Our colleague on the Boat from the Blue podcast, um, Colin Savage, is very fond of saying that Otamendi is a player who can perform reliably for not, for 89 minutes and then you know commit some kind of a howler. I think it's the, the, the regularity of those uh, gaffes that he has made, which shows you that his time really has, has come to an end at City. That was number nine. Here comes number 10. And you, this is becoming... A bit of a crisis, I would say. And this is number 10 is the absence and decline of Benjamin Mendy. When he hasn't been absent through injury issues, he has failed to recapture the form that made us sign him from Monaco. Some of those crosses have been the, the, the level of crossing accuracy has not been there. He's been regularly caught out with Otamendi like gaffes um, himself. We just haven't seen that player that we signed. I think we. We got, what was it, five good games out of him whenever he first signed, and then it's been a sorry tale ever since. Now, if you think about that, guys, no company, no Laporte, basically no John Stones, the continuing decline of Otamendi, and the absence and decline of Benjamin Menji, you've lost your whole defence there. There's no way that you can mitigate that. There's no way that you can legislate for that. And that's happened. So we're talking here about the whole backline have suffered through form, fitness issues, mental decline in the uh, in the case of John Stones. And it's just uh, this this amounts to decimation, basically, of your your trusted back four that had produced so well in the previous two seasons. Moving further forward, one of the things that was the result of um, the the departure of Laporte for most of the season was the displacement of Fernandinho. That's my point eleven, and I'm going to tie this into point twelve, which is the what could I say the the up and down um, settling in of Rodri. Fernandinho is a better number six than Rodri. I'm not saying that Rodri will not improve, but it was his first season, so we can give him a little bit of pass. But uh, the departure of Laporte necessitated the move of Fernandinho back into central defence, and while he has done a creditable job, we have lost the level of defensive screen that we had. Fernandinho basically mopped up. Uh, his sense of positioning, his tactical fouling, his uh, spatial awareness, 
even his um, raking passes that he was able to perform fairly regularly in the previous two seasons, we were robbed of all of that when he had to retreat into central defence. So you've really lost your defence, your midfield defensive screen. Your defence has been decimated for the reasons I've given, and you've also lost your defensive screen. Rodri has had an up and down time of it, and Gundogan has been a pretty, he's been doing well in, in, in the face of all of this. But he doesn't really offer that defensive screen that uh, Fernandinho did, and it's going to take Rodri some time to to really um, settle into this position. So we haven't had an effective number six, and the so-called pivot hasn't worked consistently well either. This brings me on to point number 13, uh, which I think is a factor, and uh, I appreciate some people will disagree with this, but I feel that on several occasions uh, this season, there's been a marked reluctance by Pep to expose Foden, uh, Phil Foden. Now, we all know how great he has been um, since the restart, but even before that, when he was given his chances earlier in the season, we saw what an incredible level of energy and creativity that he brought now, Pep will have his reasons um, for why he held Foden back, but I don't think that that's been justified. I think that he has impressed almost every time. He's added an extra dimension to the midfield that we've been lacking, and he could have played a considerable degree more, in my view. So with this bumpy period, this bumpy first year for Rodri, the displacement of Fernandinho, reluctance to expose uh, Phil Foden in um, in tighter games. There's also been, of course, the slowing down of David Silva. Now, before you jump on this, um, of course, he's been an absolutely amazing servant to Man City. And uh, in the last couple of games, he's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant, which shows what a good rest will do for you. Obviously, he's never relied on great pace, but... Um, He's performing absolutely amazingly at the moment, and that augurs well for the FA Cup and the important Champions League games that we have coming up. But over the course of the season, I think that we have seen the slowing down of David Silva. We've seen him um, do things that he hasn't done before. We've seen him give the ball away a lot more. We've seen his uh, passes not quite reached their target before. We have seen that he generally was a lot less less energetic after the 60-minute mark in a lot of games. And he's come back well. I'm not arguing against that. He's done brilliantly, particularly in, in, in the last game. But as a whole, over the, over the season, we have seen the, the, the gradual slowing down of David Silva, and that has, that's hurt us uh, a little bit. What are the ramifications of all of this? I think we have had a general inability to deal with the breach of our high line. Now, I like to call our way of going about games as walking on the tightrope. When you're defending that high, then you're vulnerable if you're a press is not on point, and City have not been pressing with anything like the same a degree of ferocity and robustness that they have done over the last couple of seasons. This is something that relates to the points I mentioned earlier with regard to Rodley, Rodri's difficulty in settling in, the loss of um, Fernandinho, the, 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 the reluctance to use Foden as much as he could have been used, but also this brings into focus something else, and that is the decline of Bernardo Silva. 
Now, when I, when I talk about the decline of Bernardo Silva, I'm not talking about a decline that's similar to David Silva's decline, because that's an age-related thing. Bernardo Silva is, Bernardo Silva is still young and certainly made himself a hero when he refused to do the guard of honour properly for Liverpool. But uh, there's been a huge difference in the level of his performances last season as opposed to this. Now, this is probably just a blip, almost certainly um, just a bit of a blip. But um, ever since that fateful tweet, he's just not been the same player. Little flashes here and there, but nothing like the same player. So, you know, that's a big, he was a big part of our success. And his performances have not been there this season. To move on to something even more obvious is, of course, the loss of Leroy Sané. Now, over those two great seasons we have had, one of the features of our play is the unpredictability and incisiveness of Leroy's wing play. And, of course, we all know that um, he basically fell out with Pep because of his lack of uh, defensive discipline. But uh, nonetheless, Leroy provided our attack with the kind of unpredictability that teams who have been beating us or drawing with us this season have not been able to deal with. I mean, sometimes it looked like Leroy didn't know what he was going to do, but what he did have was he had the ability to beat players. He could cut in or he could go outside the fullback and put crosses in, and he scored his fair share of goals. And uh, this is something that we've lost. You, you simply uh, cannot deny that. Um, it was just very similar to the situation with Laporte. He was um, lost to us for, you know, the, the majority of this season. And even at the back end of last season, he had fallen out with Pep and he wasn't getting played. So that is one of the reasons, I, I think, why Liverpool got so close to us um, last season and why we have lacked the ability to be clinical and penetrative this season. We're coming to the end now. I'm on to 19 on my, on my list, so it's been quite a quite a list of um of failings, but another thing that I would have to say I have to point to is the inconsistency of uh, Gabriel Jesus and uh, Raheem Sterling in front of goal because Jesus has uh, has broken his his long scoreless period in recent days. But, I mean, what was that? Was that 12 games without scoring? Such has been, I think this is his third goalless streak in the three years that he's been at City, although he's done well against um, lower league opposition and teams at the, the lower end of the Premier League. But Jesus, has his uh, his form has been such that um, there have been continual and regular murmurings about whether or not he should be sold and whether we need to get in someone more deadly in front of goal, someone with a bit of ice in the blood to complement Aguero, possibly even replace Aguero in the future. Nobody wants, I feel, to get rid of Gabriel Jesus. We know that he's very energetic. He's an option from the left-hand side. He's committed. He's intelligent. He, He performed so well against Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League, but he does have these uh, lengthy spells of ineffectiveness. And uh, this also happens to Raheem Sterling uh, as well. I mean, he's not above this. If you remember, there was a quite a long stretch before the lockdown that Sterling couldn't score for love nor money. Over-elaboration, hitting it straight at the goalkeeper, hitting it past the post, not passing to people who are in better positions. Those two have been inconsistent, far more inconsistent than they were before. 
That's number 19 on my list, and number 20 is something that might make you laugh, but I think that it's an important factor, and that is that VAR has not been kind to us. Perhaps this I should have thrown this in at the beginning as one of the minor factors, but um, we have had some shocking decisions uh, against us with um, VAR, and all we can hope is that next season it'll be some of the problems will be sorted out. But I don't want to finish on a on a negative note. I mean, these are all of the things that I think have contributed to this. Um, some might say the worst title defense in history. I don't know that I would go that far, but we've got reasons to be cheerful. And let me mention a few of them. I think the first thing is uh, the appointment of Juan Malilo has been a very positive development. I think that um, he and uh, Guardiola can form a good partnership. I think that there's a lot of mutual respect there. I think Lilo has a lot, a breadth of experience and um, a strong personality and sense of um, how uh, teams should be set up. I think he's going to be a very positive influence. Among all of those players that uh, you may think that I've slated, uh, I think that the, there are certain other players who can get a bit of a pass. I think that Aguero has been Aguero, I think Walker has been solid. I think for apart from a couple of high-profile errors, Ederson has been pretty solid. Cancelo hasn't done a lot wrong, although that's more to do with the fact that he hasn't really been able to play that much. De Bruyne has been fantastic. He's obviously in the running for player of the season, but no doubt they'll give that to somebody like Henderson. As I said earlier, I, I don't. I think it's a bit harsh on Rodri to criticise him too much because it's his first season. He's settling in. Garcia has come through quite well. Let's hope he stays and doesn't get tempted to go back to Barcelona. Taylor Harwood-Bellis, very impressive in his uh, showings. Tommy Doyle beginning to come through as well. And of course, uh, Jaden Brath, who I think has just won the Academy Player of the Season, scorer of one, at least one great goal that stands in the memory uh, during the season for the uh, the EDS or, or the Academy. I can't really remember, but you'll remember the one, the one where he was out on the left and made people think that he could really be a rival for Leroy Sané. But we have we have all of these positive things. We have we have a list of players who haven't disgraced themselves that can come out of the season with a bit of credit. But but also we have the prospect, I think, of uh, a, a seeming seriousness of, of Pep to really. Uh, there seems to be a, a an impressive seriousness of uh, from Pep about just what needs to be done in the summer. He's made no secret about it. I think that everyone knows that he is going to bring in at least one centre-back. He's probably going to bring in a left-back. He could well bring in um, uh, a central midfielder to pick up the slack. He may even sign a striker. And uh, lots of listeners will remember, do you remember back in those Halcyon days when we had four strikers under Mancini? A, a total of four strikers. I, I certainly I remember a period when we actually had four strikers instead of just two. So I think that Pep is going to do big things. Whether or not we're successful in casts, we have to wait until next Monday to find that out. But I think that whether or not we receive this ban, there is, if you listen to all of the journalists, I've been listening to Jack Gorn and also Sam Lee and uh, Dave Mooney. Everyone seems to get this um, feeling of determination from Pep, possibly because it might be his last season, that things are going to be different in this transfer window. There's going to be no cock-ups like 
happened with Alexis Sanchez, that happened with uh, Jorginho, and that they're going to get these deals done. And so that's something for us to look forward to. Really, I, you've got to appreciate that uh, despite this huge gap between us Liverpool points-wise, take a look at the goals scored uh, charts. Ask yourself what that means. If you think about it, we have been constantly criticised for profligacy, and yet we're, what, 10 or 11 goals? We've scored 10 or 11 goals more than this amazing Liverpool team? I mean, that tells you something, that um, things can't be that bad. So if we stiffen up our defensive robustness and make up for um, certain high-profile departures that provided us with a little bit of unpredictability, be less easy to read for teams who are using the low block I think that we're not that far away. Reasons to be cheerful, guys. Reasons to be cheerful. So that's my little breakdown of uh, what I think has contributed to what's gone on this season. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any comments, uh, please um, send them on uh, SoundCloud uh, or the Bolt from the Blue uh, Twitter account. Um, This is just something to um, maybe give some food for thought, maybe to amuse might even frustrate some City fans with some of the points that I've made. But um, in many ways, it's just a little stopgap pod because uh, we'll be back with you uh, very shortly. Um, Hopefully, myself and the two guys, Colin and Ray, will be able to put together another pod for you uh, very, very shortly, which is going to just go through our two uh, last games. A thumping 5-0 win, but preceded by a 1-0 loss to Southampton. And it shows the Jekyll and Hyde nature of our season. Those two games really, you know, back-to-back, they, they really are a, a very good sort of picture of how things have gone for us this season. Uh, but until then, I'm just going to leave that little prospect with you and say thank you for listening. And I'll finish, as always, with Have One and Us. Uh, from Bolt from the Blue, have one in us and up the Blues. It's about time that your mind took a holiday